Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Hey everyone, welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Matt Straup. It is Thursday, May 19th, and today we're looking at the players we are targeting in every fantasy draft for May. We've each picked two players, and we'll make the case for why we cannot seem to stop ourselves from drafting them. To do this, I'm joined by Pat Doherty, Pat Corain, and Kyle Dvorak, who, guys, while we were playing this episode, Kyle said he would get his two players to us ASAP because he was, quote, walking my dog and doing a draft right now. And this seems to me as kind of an unprecedented multitasking situation, drafting a team while walking a dog. Kyle, what's the story here? Give us a breakdown. Yeah, well, so, you know, I, I don't have a ton of time. We're working on the on the draft guy, the actual like, draft magazine, and the dog needs to go out. So I got to start piling things together, stacking things at some point. And it mostly went well, though I did uh, time out and just have a, a naked Russell Wilson team until luckily I got uh, KJ Hamler at the end. And then within like 30 minutes, Russell on his Instagram posted future star KJ Hamler. And I was like, I knew this was coming, baby. I felt so good. But I was outside and it's so hot. And I, I did not walk that far. And it was immediately gassed. And I felt just like Traylon Burks. Oh, come on. Oh, oh wow. wow. Yeah, these Zoomers, are, they're not naturalists. You need to take a second, slow down, pause, mm-hmm. you know, just breathe in some like non-recycled air and just try to enjoy the outdoors for one second. Instead of just sweating, whether or not you're getting Greg Dulcich. Is that how you say his name, Crane? That is uh, how you say it. The Broncos rookie tight end that you are very sure. obsessed with and that I almost took at 310 in our rookie draft because I knew that there's no way he would get by one of your next few picks. But I took Tyler Beatty instead because I'm a Mizzou homer. I went outside. My lungs are probably coated in pollen. I can't breathe. And I can literally feel my flesh cooking. Like I'm out in a tank top and I can feel the sun baking me like a chip. What is up with the pollen in North Carolina? I was there for a bachelor party two weekends ago in uh, mm-hmm. Asheville, which is you know, probably a different climate than Charlotte. But my uh, my face was like coated in pollen. Like I kept getting yeah. it in my eye. Like, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. with allergies, your eyes start watering because like it's just in the air. This one was, it was watering. So it was literally in my it's eye. Just, yeah, it's just dust yeah. in your eyes. I don't know if it's a if it's a North Carolina thing. I think it's probably just that you had been inside with your kids and on doing football stuff and you went outside and much like me, just the sun hit you yeah. and like a little piece of dust and a bug ran by and you were just overwhelmed. Well, by the no, the, the dark truth about kids, quote unquote, is that, uh, man, do they like to go outside? Really? Hmm. Yeah. So I'm outside. I, that's interesting because I was just saying to someone the other day that my kids don't seem to care whether it's a nice day or not at all. Mine are five, three, and one. So to them, the okay. great outdoors is like still cool. Oh yeah, no, they mine like are just over. beg to go mine outside. Five and eight, they're done. Yeah, the minute they again. like get on a computer, a laptop, or anything, yep. they will never ever go outside again. And it's never. a very intelligent choice. For yeah, that's why I've never given mine a Sega Game Gear. <laughs> Am I right? Only folks? one person on the show got no. Only yeah. one person gets that reference, and it's the person who said it. <laughs> I, I never had a Sega. Really I always wanted a Sega. You know, I eventually got the N sixty four. That's was. That wasn't the smoothest intro to our sponsor, Pat, Sega Game Gear. It sounded a little forced in there. If we could just kind of, we were supposed to weave it in organically when we said Sega Game Gear. You said it yeah. really um, like you were shoehorning it in. Yeah. So well, just... I wanted it to feel, you know, feel natural. <laughs> I had a Game Boy, by the way, a Game Gear. I was like, what? You losers playing Game Gear? <laughs> yeah. I guess you're going to tell us you had you guys Sega big GoldenEye guys? That was, that was, oh my uh... gosh. You were canceled oh, if you weren't a GoldenEye guy. This is kind of how it worked. It was a big deal. Yeah. I never had a video game system except for a Game Boy until N64. I was 10. 
my brother and I basically had an intervention with my parents. Like, listen, I know you don't want us to like while our lives away playing video games, but it's time. It's time. <laughs> but it's yeah. just part of the culture now. Yeah, so it's time. We, we, need, we need the N64 and they, they stepped up to the plate and we got the N64. Yeah. Very similar. Very similar to my experience. Great, great choice. At the risk of derailing us, I'm just going to tell you guys real quick. We, I played a ton of GoldenEye in college. That, that dated myself there. Yeah, we also did. played a game called Tekken quite a bit. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the fighting game Tekken. Mm-hmm. And we played it so much that one day my a friend, my roommate and I were saying, maybe we should break this game, like snap the CD physically because this is ruining our lives. And we're kind of laughing about it that day. A couple days later, we're into like a three-hour session. He just looked at me. He was like, we're both frustrated. He's like, do it. Take it out. Snap it in half. And our other roommate comes home and you've never seen someone so devastated. He was cradling the the broken pieces of the disc in his arms. So, well, I'm assuming you just went to Circuit City afterwards and bought a new one, right? Yeah, yeah, we just got that one. Yeah, forty dollars. All right, we ready to get into this, guys? We each brought two players, and I think we're gonna start with Pat Doherty. Pat, give us your uh, first player. Make the case as uh, strong or as lukewarm as it may be. Well, the first thing is I'm not super addicted to best ball or spring drafting, sure. especially not to the point. Where I'm again, yeah, like holding myself up, even though I'm outdoors, you know, like having phone drafting tunnel vision. So I've not done nearly as many drafts as Kyle and Crane, I'm assuming. But I've been all spring, for some reason, finding myself like interested in the idea of rostering Amari Cooper this year. But the ADP is not really cooperating. He's the, I think he's the wide receiver 17 on Mm -hmm. underdog. He's like the wide receiver 20 and some of the composite ADPs and, like, in theory, I was like, man, people are finally going to be out on Amari Cooper this year. Even though he's getting uh, a quarterback upgrade, it's hard to say you're getting a quarterback upgrade from Dak Prescott. But in getting the quarterback upgrade, in theory, with Deshaun Watson, uh, if he's not suspended. And I was like, I bet this guy is going to fall, like, you know, the, the mid to low 20s. But he's more like in the widest year, 17 to 20 range. And I was just wondering how you guys – I haven't seen a lot of, like, Amari Cooper ADP – debate yet because i think he's someone people are just tired of talking about and debating because mm-hmm. he's so frustrating and like the next level does not exist for amari cooper but i was wondering what our real best ball heads here thought of amari cooper because in theory you know there's always an angle with amari cooper like hey listen the browns have like no one to catch these passes even if deshaun watson gets suspended like who they got to throw to somebody but i was just wondering if you guys were buying into amari cooper at all this year i'm not completely out but it's it's hard to like get too excited about it because we've got potentially a big suspension coming from Deshaun Watson. I don't know that it is a quarterback upgrade. I mean, it's it's not a quarterback downgrade. He did have a connection with Dak Prescott. He's got to work on having one with Deshaun Watson. He's going to have to work on having one with whoever else probably for who knows how many games. And then is this it? Are they not bringing anyone else in? Because, you know, Will Fuller, I think, would be – this would be the most logical destination oh, for him. And that might change things, you know, fairly considerably. So it's like, I don't think you want to be completely out on him right now, but it's tough for me to get like super excited, kind of pounding the table for Amari Cooper with this level of uncertainty. Kyle, yeah, I didn't know if you, I didn't know if you best ball freaks would be like leaning into this situation <laughs> or what. Yeah, just don't ever get excited about Amari Cooper. Yeah, you don't have to get down on him either. Like the market can have yeah. him priced properly because we have such a, like we have a pretty deep catalog on who Amari Cooper is. He's in a good situation, but he's also been in good situations in the past. He should have a good quarterback. There's some uncertainty there, and the target competition should be weak, but who knows? So I, I think the market's probably fair on him. I would even think looking at the underdog ADP, there are at least a few players going behind him. Jerry Judy, I'd consider probably taking over him. Yes. Allen Robinson, I think like the two for maybe the best passing attack, one of the top two or three passing attacks versus maybe the one, probably the one for Cleveland. I still think I'd take Allen Robinson over him. So maybe I, I'd probably end up getting him like you. I'm a little surprised where the market is. He's not going crazy high, but there are a few players after him that I'm more excited for. No discount whatsoever, basically. Yeah, exactly. You know, there is a little bit of a discount on Nick Chubb, which I've noticed like, that. Yeah. Chubb's always going like at the like 202 or something. And I'm like too expensive, but you can get him at the kind of the two, three turn now. And, you know, if you think about, First of all, Chubb has like he's just so good that he always kind of has contingent value in a weird way. Like if Kareem Hunt gets banged up again or whatever, he can I mean, he can actually catch passes in a Jonathan Taylor kind of way. And then obviously, depending on when the suspension falls, like if the if Watson's suspension is early in the season, Chubb could be a guy who's absolutely crushing down the stretch if if the offense is clicking in Cleveland. So 
getting him at a discount has actually been really nice. That's kind of how I've been attacking the Browns. Why didn't you go with Nick Chubb, man? That would have been... That well, it's interesting cool. that Crane mentioned uh, Chubb because that he's noticing it in the drafts too because I've noticed that just like perusing other people's rankings, like a lot of people aren't even ranking him as like an RB1 this year. And like, I, I, I get it. It's kind of similar to Amari Cooper in some ways where like, there's like a not another gear for Nick Chubb. Known quantity. Take. Known quantity. Yeah, he, yeah, he's mm-hmm. exactly. There's not unknown upside with him. There's not any like untapped potential. He's like at his ceiling, but like his ceiling is still like the best pure runner in the NFL, basically, and just like such a like a set and forget two down running back that I feel like yeah maybe in general like if I'm breaking ties I'm always gonna bet on like the unknown upside like this is kind of like the draft kind of drafter I am. Like I think we've like taken it a little too far. The mm. fading with Nick Chubb, I've noticed. But isn't there some unknown upside with Nick Chubb, or like he's been blocked by Kareem Hunt for much of his time in Cleveland, but he's been okay as a receiver. He's not like a total nothing as a receiver. So things have to break right for him to get used as a receiver this year. Probably won't. But that's like maybe a little tiny dose of upside. Speaking of Amari Cooper, quickly, and that ceiling we used to dream of, it felt like Amari Cooper was going to be like 25 years old forever. He was always the guy who was younger than we thought he was, but now he's like almost 28. Do you guys know how old Sammy Watkins is now? 29? Uh, Not 39. I was, I was, he actually is 29. Like The man who was going to be 23 forever is now yeah. 29. God. And you know now he just spends like... He got caught in a team meeting the other day just like looking through lawnmowers online. <laughs> what? And... Uh, so yeah, wow. he's settling into middle age. It's quite sad. Wow. Do you guys I mean, know how I, old Juju is? I was I was gonna say in nine oh, years we'll look I, back and Juju will be thirty two. Twenty six? Twenty six. Twenty five. He's he's twenty five. What he turns twenty six in season. Isn't that nuts? That actually does yeah. not seem possible. Wasn't he like not, wait, he was some absurdly he was absurdly young when he came into the league, obviously. He's twenty. He was, yes. yeah. You guys know how old Taysom Hill is? Forty three. Thirty two. It turns 32 in August. Taysom was like the classic, like, however old you're guessing, you are not guessing. Old Developmental 30-year-old Taysom yeah, Hill. I think people have finally realized, like, you think you're going high on Taysom Hill, then just add three more years, basically. <laughs> well, didn't yeah, the, didn't the Browns it. take Brandon Whedon when he was like 27 years he old? He was 27, yes. Jesus. <laughs> I don't see how that franchise has languished in failure so long. It, I just don't it's get it. It's very, very hard to figure out, isn't it? We should do an entire segment of one of these off-season podcasts of how old is he? Full-blown trivia segment. <laughs> he almost just game. did. Yeah, I yeah, did. Well, that was the light version. That was the soft <laughs> launch. <laughs> All right, Karane. 45 you... minutes next time. <laughs> Karane, you're up next. Who's your first player? My first player is Travis Etienne. He's uh, one of these running backs who goes in a range in these drafts that you can kind of do anything with. Like, if you want to basically go zero running back, you got a late uh, pick. You can get him in the late fifth round. So, you know, maybe not technically is he a running back draft, drafting a running back in the late fifth, but kind of like Miles Sanders a few years ago when he was a rookie. You can often find like a, a breakout running back type in that late fifth range uh, who, you know, kind of serves as like a very weak anchor running back or kind of the premium zero running back type of build. But if you want to go with like the superhero build, I think ETN can be a part of that. You take an early running back, you get ETN as one of two running backs. You can wait a long time for your third running back. Or if you wanted to take three in the first five, just tackle on one more. Kind of do a classic hyper-fragile. He really fits those builds. So for me, like just kind of where ETN's going in that late fifth range and after Brees Hall, just kind of fits with a lot of draft builds, which is one reason that I like taking him a lot. But the other thing is that like it feels like you get kind of the post-hype sleeper with Travis ETN. I thought he was a better prospect than Najee Harris. I thought he was a better prospect than Javante Williams. I think he was a better prospect than Brees Hall. And you're getting him after Hall in drafts. You're getting him way after Williams in drafts. Getting him way after Najee Harris in drafts. Now, I get why. I mean, we've got the injury concern, you know, potentially have James Robinson lurking. But that James Robinson injury is like, I'm okay fading a quick comeback with the Achilles stuff. So, you know, you also have the the offense. Is it going to be as bad as it was last year. Again, I get to fade Urban Meyer. I'm down to do that. And <laughs> yes. this is an offense that's passed to its running backs a decent amount. You know, this this kind of like this Andy Reid style Peterson offense. I think they'll involve him. And he's a very good pass catcher. He's got a rapport already with Lawrence. He's like the only guy that does. You're looking at kind of the right archetype. When you're looking at who can emerge from the dead zone, 
you want running backs like this, really talented running backs who maybe have like a red flag. Maybe like we, it's tough to project how much work they're going to get. I think ETN can kind of command work in a way they can uh, have him really beat his ADP. Yeah, the way you describe him reminds me of the same reasons I was going to bat for like Kareem Hunt last year, where like, sure, I, I probably wouldn't count him in the true zero RB range, but you get to use him as your anchor RB. And there is a very realistic outcome where this player this year, I think Travis Etienne is a perfect example, and he doesn't need an injury ahead of him. He kind of already got it too, but he doesn't right. need someone ahead of him to get injured if, you know, we do get James Robinson back and fully healthy. He could just be better than James Robinson as a runner because Etienne truly could be a special runner back to back 1600 yard rushing seasons at Clemson. So, yeah, he fits the third down back to only guys. Come on, uh, man. Urban, get off this show. I love the idea of, of still getting another sh- one final shot to fade Urban because it's, like, it's exactly I almost brought Trevor Lawrence to this conversation for that exact same yeah. reason. That, like we don't know, although we have a good idea and it's a lot, how much of an impact Urban Meyer had on this team in a negative way. We don't know truly how far it went because Trevor Lawrence also looked pretty bad. Right. But if it was a lot and it very well could have been a lot based on Urban being a complete donkey going to a really historically successful uh, head coach in Doug Peterson could be not just like a a head coaching upgrade. It could be a head coaching universe changing moment for this team. (laughs) So get one last chance to try and like really course correct uh, like the Urban Meyer cell. I, uh, I, I think that's, this is our last chance to do it. I really want to. This is a really dumb question because it's like so context dependent. But Karain, when you were talking about Travis Etienne, it had me thinking of like another guy, kind of like risky guy, a guy who didn't play last year in J.K. Dobbins. And I think when I ask you, who do you think is a safer pick in 2022, mm-hmm. J.K. Dobbins or Travis Etienne? Like what, what's like your initial like gut answer? Part of my answer is like, can an injury guy remind me how bad the knee injury was for Dobbins? Because I think, you know, it, probably the, the big thing is like the injury recovery is like your biggest question. But probably Dobbins is safer if we're throwing that out. Because we know that he's going to be, we know exactly how he's going to be used. And we know that they want to get back to using Dobbins Mm -hmm. and Lamar Jackson more in that efficient running game, kind of get everything back clicking. They don't have Marquise Brown. It's going to be tough for them to like play any other way than kind of like peak Ravens. So I think from, you know, particularly in like half PPR best ball, like Dobbins, I think is a pretty solid pick where he's going and decently safe. You're getting a bit of a discount on him. But I think Etienne has more of a ceiling. I think Dobbins would be, if I had a do-over on who I picked here, I think Dobbins would be the guy, one of the guys. I'm irrationally interested in Dobbins in all my drafts, even coming off the injury. Historically not drafted him much, and I've, I've drafted him a decent amount. I mean, you're not he's, you're getting him next to like Antonio Gibson and stuff. I'd much rather have him than Antonio Gibson. All right, Kyle, bring us your first of two players you find yourself drafting everywhere, including while walking your dog. I think this is literally a player I drafted. I didn't get both my players today, but I did get one of the players, David Njoku. I mean, like, David Njoku is really good and going surprisingly late for a player who, I think by all accounts, everyone would generally agree, he is supremely talented, and we see it in all of his efficiency metrics. You know, he was 11th in yards per route run, 5th in yards per target last year. He was also, he's a tight end who can actually at least as far as tight ends are concerned, push defenses downfield, make big plays mm-hmm. as far as tight ends go. He's not Will Fuller, but he isn't like he's in, you know, Dalton Schultz, I'd assume. So he actually used 11th and ADOT among uh, tight ends last year. And there, as we talked about previously, is a void of targets on this team that will have to be filled yeah. by someone like, sure, they could bring in like a Will Fuller, but like how many games are going to get out of a Will Fuller they bring in? They're probably working mostly with what they have right now. And we saw over the past two years them running a ton of two and even three tight end sets. They are not going to be moving away from that. So we could finally get the every down David Njoku we've been praying for since they drafted him, plus the quarterback upgrade. To me, it's just tons of opportunity available. Mm -hmm. Looks by all accounts a supremely talented player and an upgrade for the offense as a whole via the quarterback. So I think David Njoku is kind of the best value tight end you can find right now. Here's where the problem is where it comes to you being, how old are you, like, <laughs> I love Pat asking how old Kyle is, and then his internet. Wait, we're playing how old is he again? We're playing how old is he again? Right, yeah, I know that's what I thought. We we're doing a, we're doing another how old? Is, uh, yeah, Pat's internet. Old man out. can't get internet to work. I know. He's like, he's like, how old are you? Because can you come fix my internet? Exactly. <laughs> you oh, come wow. fix my router. He did cut out. Makes sense. I thought he was just pausing. I thought he was just pausing. <laughs> and the funniest thing quite is a dramatic also, effect. he texts me uh, never. He calls me all the time. And if he has a question, he calls me. And that's how I know he's old. And of course, his internet goes out. Uh, I, don't, 
I wonder what he, I truly have no idea what he's going to say. Uh, so I guess that well, means I'm right. The thing is like, he was going to, he was going to come in with that FUD and be like, oh man, but he hasn't gotten a role before. I've got some I, FUD for you. I've no, got some come FUD. On. Number one, the Browns, they rotate their tight ends. And that's, I mean, Austin Hooper was like, I guess they're starting tight end last year. He ran around on 53% of dropbacks. That's like rough. Like we want our tight ends at like 80, 85%. I mean, that's, that's the goal, but like we can, we can deal with 70 to 75% if we're talking about like an elite talent, but that's not really what the Browns have done. Najoku was at 54% last year. I think he'll probably be more like 65% of routes this year, but Harrison Bryant was at 28% last year. And I bet he kind of comes up and is in that secondary tight end spot. I don't, I don't know that they're going to be running a ton of two tight end sets, right? Like they'll probably have David Bell in the slot, Donovan Peoples-Jones or whoever else, maybe, you know, if they bring someone in, that'll be the second outside wide receiver. And then Amari Cooper as well on the outside. So I think that three wide receiver set will get a decent amount of run. So if he's in any kind of timeshare at all with not Austin Hooper, who's the other guy, Harrison Bryant, then you're looking at, uh, you know, just the routes being a little bit too low. And Njoku has been pretty good, but he hasn't been awesome. Right. Like his yards per hour on last year were good, uh, 1.56, but that's not elite. You know, it's not anywhere close to even kind of where Dallas Goddard was last year or something like that. So I'm down with David Njoku for sure, but I, I don't know. I like, do you, you like him su- substantially more than like an, an Evan Ingram or something like that? Yeah. Well, right now, uh, underdog ADP over the past seven days, yeah, under over the yeah. past seven days. This is insane. Like he's going just ahead of Noah Fant, Gerald Everett, Logan Thomas, and just behind Tyler Higby and Cole Komet and Hunter Henry. Like some of those are part time tight ends. Like we could totally see with David and Joe. It's certainly possible they do rotate him. Although I think the reason we saw like the Austin Hooper rotation last year is because Austin Hooper's terrible. There's a reason well, they weren't stripping him a ton of rounds. If they have yeah, a good, a good tight end, who also <laughs> Austin Hooper's probably a fine blocker. Uh, and that's probably also why uh, they give him snaps, not routes necessarily. So I think he has a significantly better talent than Austin Hooper and also the players going around him talent wise in terms of ADP role wise. I think that's the reason he's with them. But like, I think mm-hmm. he's a better tight end than Gerald Everett. Honestly, looking at Gerald Everett's ADP is how I learned that he's on the Chargers. And, and like, like some of these guys, he goes like in the same. I kind of like, like Gerald Everett, man. Why like, give me that Chargers tight end? He's why he's fine, you? and he's on the Chargers. I'm in. Uh, you're looking for Donald <laughs> Parm is the name you're looking for. XFL legend <laughs> Donald Parm. I think that ship has sailed. So what I was trying to ask earlier, if my internet cut out for like the seventh time, Kyle, was this? Had you maybe considered the possibility that David and Joku was bad? <laughs> what is there's a chance he might be bad uh, wow. i really like actually right, that i got to give my like route run fud and then you came in with the <laughs> the much better he's bad he just came in with a metal chair he yeah. me over the head with it. hey how old is david and joku i'm just gonna throw that one at you guys 20 no, turning 20 only 26 this 26. year yeah, he's 25. He's the classic. Oh, and this used to be like more of a thing, kind of like the Martellus Bennett thing, where like you could be like not productive for your entire rookie contract, but it's like such a complex position. It's really, really context dependent, even more so than other positions. Like if your offense just wants tight ends to block, you might not ever catch passes or you're behind Jason Witten, like Martellus Bennett was. But tight ends have started, I feel like producing younger in their careers is during like the passing explosion era. Yeah. I'd say we've five, half a decade with David and Joku. I'm just not, we're talking about like the next step, not coming for guys. Just not really sure. It was very weird that he was franchised. I found uh, that very that weird. weird. It was very bullish that they uh, franchised. Yeah, so that was like deeply strange and like kind of lends credence to Kyle being in on him. Cause I mean, you don't franchise yeah. someone that you don't think is going to be a big part of your offense, right. but uh, just, yeah, a pretty long track record at this point of David and Joku being not great. He's so mistake prone. Talk about Gerald Everett. Like David and Joku was kind of like Gerald Everett before Gerald Everett was where kind of like too, like that Jared cook where he'll, he'll make like a 51 yard catch. This is like amazing. He like high points the ball down the seam and like the next play of the ball, he hits off his face mask for an interception. I, I think Jared Cook's actually like a good comp for the style of play because Jared Cook's also a guy who, at least as far as tight ends go, are more athletic, pushes the field a little bit more for a tight end. And also, he's like bounced around teams. We definitely see him make mistakes. But like, if we got the good uh, Saints, I think, and then maybe one final season with like the Raiders or something, <laughs> Jared Cook season from David Njoku for the price of like these tight end three type of guys, like, I think that's very realistic and what I'm betting on. The point I really like, Kyle, is, is the ADOT. 
I do think that really matters. Like you don't see a lot of tight ends who can actually push. Austin Hooper was not that guy at all. So I think it <laughs> really <don't> helps. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's kind of like Jared Cook, you know, and when you have a tight end in that mold and he actually gets a lot of work, that's when I think you can see the tight end become a bit of a different tier than the other tight ends around him because he's almost playing a different position. He's like a big wide receiver. He's actually able to to threaten defenses downfield and not just take a lot of little squiggly underneath routes that don't go anywhere. Uh, not to hijack the show for Matt, but two rapid fire questions. Pat Crane, what team is Austin Hooper on? Austin Hooper is on the Tennessee Titans. Kyle Dvorak, what team is Hayden Hurst on? Bengals. I don't know if I would have known that if I wasn't looking at ADP though. Okay. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. You can't you can't stump these best ball made drafters. It's we know true, what actually, yeah, you can't stump well like the Gerald Everett too. I I, I don't know. If you had asked me a couple of days ago, like if I hadn't just like refreshed my rankings, oh, Gerald Everett, you know, he's on the and you hear me typing Gerald Everett uh, Wikipedia. He's on <laughs> yeah, come on, he's on the Rough Riders. Everyone knew that. <laughs> That's that's when you fake the internet outage. Gerald yeah, Everett's exactly. on. The, yeah. Oh, course. my internet's going out again. And you see your <laughs> yeah. All right. For my first player, I'm going to go with a guy who, when last we saw him, was hauling in a playoff record four touchdown receptions, had 201 receiving yards in that game. That's, of course, Gabriel Davis, who oh, I really want to bring this up just to ask you guys what you think of his ADP at the moment. Because uh, last I checked, he was around 56 on underdog. So I guess uh, throwing this your way first, Kyle, I mean, how interested are you in Davis? At or around that ADP, does that feel about fair? Does it feel low? Does it feel high? What are your expectations? That feels about right. He actually looks like he'd be at like the end of a tier of players for me. So if I'm not getting Gabriel Davis, I don't know. I'd be taking a, a wide receiver shortly after him. Like after him is going like Juju, Michael Thomas. I do like Rashad Bateman. That might be the one exception. Then like uh-huh. Brandon Cooks and Darnell Mooney. A lot of guys who I don't really know if they can have these catastrophic breakout seasons where like the number two for Josh Allen can have a catastrophic breakout season. And we even saw last year, Savon Diggs. Uh, really you know, catastrophic usually implies yeah. bad. I don't think that's the word you want. I like there. it. We're changing. <laughs> We're changing the game. He's having a breakout season and like steps on a mine or something. Catastrophic <laughs> for who? Ben. <laughs> yeah. For people who don't draft him, for the faders. We saw Stefan Diggs look a little less Stefan Diggsian last year, which mm-hmm. was interesting. We've seen we actually saw them a few of the sort of middle 28 type of receivers like DeAndre Hopkins. So if we are looking at not a pure one and a gap to two situation in terms of the Buffalo target share, if it's a one A, one B, that really leaves a room room for upside. Well, I mean, obviously, we know the playoff uh, explosion was was massive, right? And you don't want catastrophic, to. Um, it's ca- catastrophic for the Chiefs' defense. It's catastrophic, <laughs> but, yeah, for some people. <laughs> yeah, but it was like, how much do you weight that, right? Because you know, kind of recency bias thing or whatever. But if you look at his entire season, he had two point zero three yards per route run, including the playoffs. But you should include the playoffs, and I mean, that's a really good mark for a second year wide receiver. And the promise of Gabriel Davis, you know, he was an early declare wide receiver who had a breakout season in college and day three guys. So immediately you're like, you know, it's a low probability that he ever gets a shot. But when you have that type of profile and you do get a shot and then you post a sophomore season over two yards per out run and you play with Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs is maybe declining. Yeah, <laughs> there's some upside there. And Crane, it's not just the sophomore season. Like he forced his way on the field as a fourth round rookie. Like you say, coming out of like a, a you know not a typical like football powerhouse school too. And like the fact that he was so good that he forced himself on as a day three rookie. You know, what was a pretty skilled offense. And like you said last, he was kind of like weirdly faded by the Bills coaching staff for a while last year. And then once they finally like gave him the snaps again, he just went nuts again. And the way I keep coming back to like the eight catches for 201 yards and four touchdowns in the divisional round is like, would I rather overinterpret this or overfade this? And mm-hmm. maybe you overfade it if it was like the lone data point. But again, it's like a it was this like a series of data points for me where like anytime you give Gabriel Davis an inch, like he takes a mile basically. And so I, I would much rather overinterpret. Gabriel Davis has finished the 2021 then like fade it and be on the wrong side. Cause there's just a chance he's like a genuinely special player. The a dot stuff comes up here again as well, where he had a 17.4 a dot as a rookie, just a true deep downfield guy, mm-hmm. kind of a Marcus Valdez Scantling level a dot there. And then it was 15.3 last year. Again, very much like a true deep threat, but 
to your point, Pat, they were playing Emmanuel Sanders like in that exact role, and it was going so bad, like so just, poorly, just, like air yards to nowhere. You know, just Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, at one time was a very good player, but he was like what thirty four last year. It was really weird that they were using him over Davis in a downfield role when that's what Davis was best at in college. That's what he's been as a pro. So he's getting, I think, that Emmanuel Sanders role from the jump this year. It could be really exciting to see him, you know, dominating those downfield targets. I want to quickly bring up the guy you mentioned, Kyle Rashad Bateman. So that if, if that's a debate we're having, what's your case for Bateman over Davis? I'm curious because Bateman is another guy considered bringing to the table here. Bateman was a supreme prospect. I like Gabe Davis. He wasn't a bad prospect by any means. And he's done more, more efficiently and more explosively in the NFL. But our prior on Bateman should be very strong. He was a very good prospect, just incredible dominator rating, playing at a power five school, and then great breakout age. And then he gets on the field as rookie. He doesn't do a ton with it. He was actually not particularly efficient, but he at least didn't completely flop, right? He got on the field, wasn't benched. And now, and he was also banged up. He missed like all the training camp. So he didn't even get a regular offseason mm-hmm. for himself. Now he gets potentially wide receiver one role. It's really, it, if he doesn't get wide receiver one role, it's a very bad sign because their depth chart is incredibly thin. So really, he's kind of gifted the wide receiver one role, just has to not completely flop. And it's a passing tack that has been generally efficient. Although they don't pass a lot, his share of the pie should somewhat make up for that in the difference between him being his team's number one receiver versus Gabe Davis on a more pass-heavy attack, probably still the number two receiver. So I think leaning talent and situation, I would go uh, Rashad Bateman because I think the ceiling is number one wide receiver on a like 35 touchdown team. Like, you know, the efficient Lamar Jackson, even if it's not 5,000 yards, you get a lot of touchdowns out of Lamar Jackson. If you can be that guy's number one receiver versus the number two on Buffalo, I still think I lean towards the number one for Lamar Jackson, but it's a, it's a debate. I think they're both kind of undervalued given their general upside getting there in different ways. All right. Four players down, four more still to go. First, we're going to take a very quick break. Every day, our world gets a little more connected but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a reminder that if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet, go and download it now. The contests are free and easy to play. And you have a shot to win thousands by predicting what will happen in the NBA playoffs, Premier League, on the PGA Tour and NASCAR circuit. All right, we each have one player remaining. Back up in the rotation is Mr. Internet Outage himself, Patrick Doherty. Pat, who do you have for player number two? Well, it's just another guy who I just feel like I don't quite know what to do with, and that's Amon Ross St. Brown, who mm-hmm. he's... So we talked, Denny and I talked about on the podcast earlier this week, like a lot of times we fall into this fallacy with, uh, with rookie receivers who like land in like places that have like thin receiver depth charts, like, well, they have no choice. They're going to have to target him. You know, like they got no choice. Like I'm doing a Kyle voice kind of Kyle likes to do a voice like that. Like uh, they got no choice. They got, Hey, come on. They got no choice. They got to play him. Amari (laughs) Rogers. How's he not going to beat out Alan Lazard this year? (laughs) As they cut him from the punt return duties. (laughs) Exactly. And like just so often they're trying to like, Oh wow. They, they do have a choice. And for some reason, they're targeting, you know, Josh Reynolds 19 times a game. You know, I stand corrected. They had a choice. Um, but so, like, a lot of times those rookies don't pan out. Amon Ross St. Brown is one of those guys. Like, they got to target this guy, don't they? They eventually finally did. You know, he was number three in yards over the final five weeks this season. He basically lived up to, like, his draft profile immediately, which is always something I've loved, like, really take notice of a rookie. Like, you know, you, you read – 
you know, say like you read like our draft write-up or like Dane Brugler's draft write-up of their strengths, and they actually like put that on rookie film. Like I always take a lot of notice of that, and Amon Ross St. Brown did that. And it's just another thing, guys who finish hot, it becomes like it becomes like this weird mind game in fantasy. Like mm-hmm. no one wants to be the guys who like who are like chasing points. And then sometimes I feel like the the fades end up just going too far. Like so, I'm seeing yeah. a Monroe St. Brown kind of, and some like almost fall like the wide receiver three, four borderline. In some places, in other places, he's still being ranked as like a solid wide receiver two. He's just someone where I'm seeing like a huge like wide range of opinions on, and just wondering what you guys th- is like. Is a Monroe going to be like a sucker's play this summer, basically, or someone where you take advantage of people just not being wanting to be the people seen as chasing points? Before you guys jump in, his, I mean, his finish was flat out catastrophic. I don't know. If <laughs> I'm never going to live this down. I'm really excited to hear about this for the rest of my life. Last six games, 51 catches, 560 yards, five touchdowns receiving, 61 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Carry on. Whoever was going to jump in about Amon Ra. You know what the worst part is? I'm not going to jump in on the Amon Ra thing. I'm going to jump in on the catastrophic thing. I looked up <laughs> catastrophic to see if there was a, a spin that I could put on it. And eventually, after reading the first definition, the second, the third, the fourth alternate definition, I was like, that fits with what I was going for. Uh, I'm like, running with it, Kyle. I'm in. I'm, I'm going The alternate it. definition. Yeah. I, I mean, for I think the problem for with the Monroe for me is, like, if you look at his target competition last year, it, it wasn't bad. It was, like, we make fun of the Falcons for entering the offseason yeah. or, you know, exiting free agency with, right? It was that level of horrendous. Like his competition was Khalif Raymond and Josh Reynolds. These are like special teams players, players who get cut by the Titans who also didn't have a good receiving core. And now he gets a massive upgrade. Well, the team gets a massive upgrade for him. He gets a downgrade in terms of competition, if you see what I'm saying. Getting TJ Hawkinson back, DeAndre Swift back, then obviously Jameson Williams, who James Williams said he expects to be ready for training camp. And I, you know, players are generally pretty optimistic with their own injury right. situations as our coaches. But the timeline does line up for him to at least be ready for week one. He might not be playing 100% snaps week one, but I think we should be able to get him pretty early in the season and DJ Chark. I, I just think that is such a massive shift that at his ADP, I probably won't have a ton of him on route. I don't think he's an egregious pick. I wouldn't call him a soccer play, but I, I'm not excited about him, I'd say. I made myself take him recently because he's the type of player, like even last year I was overly down on him because he was a day three pick. I liked the profile okay. If he'd been a round three pick, I would have been like, all right, let's go. There's some upside here. But because he was a fourth round pick, I was like, everyone's <laughs> overdrafting him, drafting the situation, not drafting talent, blah, blah, blah. So now he's got like, he had... A season where if like he was slightly more efficient, I think I would have been like really excited. But he's like, you know, he's a slot receiver. He wasn't that efficient over the course of the year. Not bad, but not like amazing. And where's the ceiling? Can he get like, you know, is he going to play over 85% of the the snaps or run 85% of the routes or more? Because, you know, a lot of slot receivers do not. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster is like one of the few slot receivers who tends to run almost every route. Most guys don't. So, you know, it's like, well, am I just chasing the points from a slot receiver? That doesn't seem great. But, you know who hasn't been good? TJ Hawkinson. TJ Hawkinson has not had a good career so far. Last year, 1.48 yards per out run. Eh, not very good. 1.57 the year before, it's fine. 1.28 the year before that. Show me something, TJ. I, I don't have any reason why I should be, like, afraid about TJ Hawkinson coming back. He's a tight end, right? Like, tight end's going to dominate all these targets? Probably not. If... Amon Ross St. Brown does have this connection with Jared Goff, which was the thesis all along that Jared Goff mm-hmm. loves throwing to his slot receiver, right? I mean, it certainly seems to be the case that they have a really strong connection. So I can see the upside actually from a slot receiver, given that we have Jared Goff. Jared Goff's got total job security there. They didn't bring in anybody. And I'm kind of skeptical of the Jameson Williams stuff, man. George oh, Pickens no. tore his, his ACL in the spring, right? He runs 32 routes all of last season. I would love to see Jamison Williams have a great season, but he tore his ACL in January. I'm fading him being ready for week one. Like, Mm -hmm. I just am. So, and the other thing is when he comes back, he's Jared Goff's downfield threat. I don't know that we're going to see Jamison Williams get a ton of targets as a rookie from Jared Goff. Like, I think he'll be, once he's fully healthy, I think he's going to be very good. I think he's going to be very efficient on the targets that he does get, but he's probably going to have trouble earning targets at the rate that he deserves. He will, however, open up the offense a bit for Amon Ross St. Brown because I actually think once you saw Josh Reynolds there, who was a deep – I mean, calling Josh Reynolds a deep that is ridiculous, but that's basically his role in the offense. 
they did have a bit of a connection because, you know, they, he played with Goff uh, when they were on the Rams together. So I think just having Josh Reynolds there actually helped Amon Ross St. Brown. You don't want the offense to be totally devoid of any other targets. Real quick, that was always kind of been my non-scientific theory with Hawkinson, Pat, is that, like, this guy like, actually needs more target competition. So, like, because I feel like the easiest thing in the world, like, if a team's only threat is, like, the tight end who's, like, and he's not, like, Kyle Pitts, like, that's such an easy thing to take away. So, I was like, TJ Hawkinson, like, needs more, like, target competition on his own team just so there's more players in the defense like actually have to account for. But, yeah, he's probably just not good, like you said. As for Amon Rock, kind of coming back to what, Pat Darty was saying initially, it feels like I, th- I feel like I see this in every fantasy sport I play. There, there are players that seem like they could. How, how do I explain this? Like fall through the cracks a little bit, and you're like, oh, of course. Like, what was I thinking? Not draft. What was I thinking? Fading him. Like, and and in this, it feels like there is a case for Amon Ra. This is not an analytical <laughs> breakdown at all, but it feels like there is a scenario where I feel like in you know come October, I'm like, well, of course. Of course, I'm not St. Brown is killing it again. You know, second year player, flashes to rookie, strong connection with his quarterback, number one option on his team. Fifth in receiving over the final five weeks of the season. Uh, I don't like him for whatever reason. I definitely have a bias against him, but I like literally made myself take him in a draft because I, I agree with you, Matt. I, I could see us just being like everything I look for, he had, and I didn't draft him. What's wrong with me? It reminds me of Terry McLaurin where like one really good rookie season, I'm like, eh, I don't know. I didn't like him come out, coming out. I'm not going to worry about it. I won't think about this where like it's a measure of your willingness to adjust your priors. And when you look at how good he was like down the stretch, obviously he was just completely incredible. All right. Player number six, and it is a rookie receiver. Karain, give us your second guy. He's already been slandered in this podcast. So I'm very happy that I get to <laughs> <Really>? talk about <laughs> really? Traylon Burks, who, you know, this, this crazy world that we live in, the guy leaves – a Friday practice in May and his ADP drops, scoop it up, <laughs> scoop up the value. He had a full practice on Saturday. He's fine, guys. Oh, no, he, he had to breathe from an inhaler one time in May. He's going to be a bust. <laughs> Have some courage. Draft for upside. This guy has no target competition. None. I mean, this is like Bears level. This is this is this is Lions level. Before Amon Ra broke out, I mean, there's nobody here to compete with him for targets. He's a first round pick, great college profile. You can nitpick some stuff about, you know, how he was scheme targets and things. I think he's probably going to get schemed some targets this year. I think it'll be fine. I think he's probably going to be playing a lot on the outside because they need someone on the outside, which is something that, you know, as a slot receiver in college was not assured. But I think the Titans landing spot for, for him is great in terms of him being able to play outside X wide receiver getting a lot of play action stuff. I think he's going to have a yards after catch opportunity and you're getting a little bit of a discount with him. He's falling more into like the seventh round going after guys uh, like he's going after Darnell Mooney, right? Which is the same play. It's like number one option with no target competition, Mm -hmm. but instead of getting an undersized third year wide receiver, you're getting this really talented rookie where we don't know how high the ceiling really could be could be quite high given his size and given his college production. Crane, the only thing I'll say about the Traylon having to leave practice is like the fact that he left a practice in May, he said, doesn't bother me like whatsoever. I mean, like that happens to almost literally every rookie. Like they can't finish a practice at some point during the summer. The only thing I think does give me pause, which I told Denny, is that it might be like the exact wrong coaching staff for mm. that to have happened. Because it feels like Mike Rabel, like when he turns, like he turns hard – and like Mike Vrabel's first impression of this guy, like this guy's sucking air. I mean, this guy literally needs his inhaler in his first practice. Like, I don't know, man. And I do worry that like, he's already like pre like, like Mike Vrabel's like hates him already. But I agree. Like in a vacuum, a guy not finishing a May practice means like quite literally nothing. Pollen in Tennessee, I think was probably the main <laughs> issue. We know how it is. By the way, Trayon, sometimes you just got to take that albuterol. I'm asthmatic, man. It's just don't, don't let the haters hate. It's good that we found a way to comp Traylon Burks, the, the player we're looking to draft, to Pat Darty. Those are two, two guys. <laughs> yeah. My asthma is very well controlled. I haven't had to use my rescue inhaler in years. You think about the difference in the situation from when A.J. Brown got there, who did take a little bit to emerge, no longer than we'd prefer, although, you know, once he did, it was awesome. But, like, they, they actually had Corey Davis there. And at the time, Corey Davis is entering his third season. Hadn't been what we'd hoped, but it had been okay. You know, you're kind of like, ah, they have nothing. 
So I, I actually think that as long as like he's probably got like another four days of, of inhalers before <laughs> Vrabel can turn on him for real. And Crane, there's, I was talking earlier about the principle, like how it ends up faulty. So I was like, well, they just have no choice but to target this rookie. Uh, it's different when you're a first rounder, too. The entire SEC offense ran yeah. through you for three yeah, yeah, years. Yeah. They're going to give you a, you're going to get a lot more benefit of the doubt if you're a first rounder as opposed to a fourth rounder. And what? What ballpark ADP were you seeing? Are you seeing him at right now, Corrine, after the uh, inhaler situation, after the leaving the practice? I have seen him. Like, you will find people who reach for him. I've seen him go, like, I think in the late fifth or early sixth. But uh-huh. I've gotten him in the seventh, and I like him in okay. the seventh, mid seventh. If you get him in the late seventh, I think that'd be ideal. I got him after Sky Moore in a league, which uh, we're all trying to find out who did this to Sky Moore's ADP. <laughs> but, you know, I, it, I think that's pretty nice. You get Traylon Burks after Sky Moore. That seems like value. Okay. More to come on rookie receivers in a second, and maybe we'll have an interesting comparison there. But, Kyle, you're up next. I know. I've been ridiculed on this show already, and I'm ready for it to happen again. In fact, I like it. It makes me feel good when you guys try (laughs) and make me feel bad because I'm going to keep drafting Clyde Edwards-Lair until the Chiefs cut him. Matt could even have this summer. Friend of the show, Clyde Edwards-Lair. Uh, friend of the show, did you guys like talk to him in the Super Bowl or something? We talk, he's been on a good football show. Clyde Edwards wow. has appeared on this show. When? So. He's one of the did you ask him why he doesn't catch more Super passes? Bowl show. We actually did a Super Bowl week, and yeah, we got we got some – just check it out. It was a great interview. We got some very frank talk from Mr. Clyde yeah, Edwards-Elair. Don't tell us. I mean, definitely just tease it. Don't no, – let's Spoilers. find out what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah no spoilers. Yeah, come on, man. This is – yeah, a lot of people have been waiting to watch this. Um, so <laughs> waiting, they waiting really have been waiting, huh? You know, yeah, had that tab open since February, so they just haven't gotten around to it yet. I feel better about it now. I think it aligns well, like uh, karma wise, that we've had him on the show and I'm here uh, touting him. Because when you look at, we say this every year, and the thing is, I'm going to keep saying it, is the Chiefs are the perfect opportunity for a running back to emerge, and every year they get slightly worse on players that aren't Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Darrell Williams, I think, is actually a solid player. And a few years ago, Damian Williams looked like he could have been a solid player. They, it's just it's just a friend of the show spiritually, Ronald Jones, behind him. And the thing yeah. we were most confused... You have slash, to stop slandering my favorite players, guy. Yeah. <laughs> the thing we were most confused, concerned about uh, with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was the fact that Darrell Williams kind of seemed like he was just the team's pass catching back. Now, no Darrell Williams, and they didn't bring back Jerick McKinnon. It is very clear that Ronald Jones is not a pass catching back. I actually like Ronald Jones as like a you know, zero RB home run hitter, maybe takes the field, but we like Clyde Hilaire because he can finally do the thing that he was drafted to do, which is catch passes. And it also aligns philosophically with what the Chiefs have chosen and slash been forced to do, which is keep compressing the offense to shorter stuff. I still don't think they're a dink and dunk attack by any means, but it does come closer to aligning with what we want from Clyde Edwards-Lair is just to be a guy who gets some of the carries on maybe the best offense in the league and a lot of the targets. And they lost 73 running back targets alone, and they are like lapping the league by like 100 targets overall lost this offseason. So plenty of targets to go around, even specifically to running backs. The offense is trending in his direction in terms of literally the dot going his way. And it's the one thing we thought he could do coming out of college well. So if, if not now, then never and never is also still a possibility. <laughs> I'm just going to apply some of like the counterintuitive Hawkinson logic to the CEH situation too, where I think he's someone who could like That's benefit from, from like a smaller role or like, this has <laughs> just been a situation crying out for like a defined committee. And if Rojo can just like not fumble every other carry this summer, he'll be the early down guy. CEH can like finally concentrate on being a change of pace and a, a great third down back. And I just feel like, I feel like you have the smaller role could actually increase his fantasy value. So I, I got a little trivia game for us here. With running backs with 10-plus targets last year, among running backs with 10-plus targets, Ronald Jones finished running back 79 in yards per route run of 89 qualifiers. Not very good. Where did Clyde Edwards-Elair finish? No. Ooh, I actually knew that. Well, I, I, I'm assuming low because I know. Didn't he average like six yards per catch or something like truly horrendous? If you tell me he's worse than Ronald Jones, I'm going to have an annual. I'm going to say 65th. 83rd. I was going to say 82nd or 84th. I'll do 84th. Ugh. 78. He was one spot ahead of Rojo. Wow. One yes, spot. he's better. I, he's better. I just don't What's buy him as he's the pass catching guy. He was in this LSU offense, man. He's a part of this Burrow offense. Yeah, he caught a lot of passes, but he actually did not have a good yards per hour in college. Wasn't efficient. Hasn't been efficient at all since coming into the pros. I think he's at real risk of them bringing Jarek McKinnon back. 
If they bring Daryl Williams back, I think it's lights out. Like they, they have to add like basically nobody and he's done. So I, to me, it's like, he's just got that Antonio Gibson profile where you're worried about him getting boxed out from two different directions. You know, does he have goal line carries? Does he have receptions? Maybe he has neither. And you just don't have any upside if that happens to you. Boo. This is all From- fair. Like, there's definitely a chance he's just not good. In fact, if you look at him playing in the NFL, uh, not good would be a pretty comfortable way to describe him. I will say with, like, playing on the LSU offense, obviously that is useful. But he also commanded targets on an offense that is just chock full of talent, which I think is at least, you know, a step in the right direction. I mean, not, I mean, it's literally the best offense ever, arguably. And he commanded a very significant amount of targets for a running back competing with, like, future stars in the NFL. So although obviously it boosts his numbers, having any meaningful target share against that competition is probably also a good thing. But like his NFL profile suggests that it, you know, Corrine's totally right that it was just a figment of our imagination because he like he got beat out for targets by Daryl Williams. It's not that good. I think it was a figment of people's imagination with CEH being a top five running back in 2020. Mm. People are not going to remember that. Yeah. Or they explain, I, you know, it was the pandemic year. No. You know, like the supply chain. Uh, things were just weird. Remember when he got like five, I think it was against the Texans on like the opening night or second week, and he got like three to five goal line carries and got stuffed yeah. on every single one of that them. Was his first year, yeah. NFL game. Man, yeah. I thought, re- I'm still waiting for that regression to hit. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm just, I was, I've been thinking back to that, you know, that summer when that the borderline delirium around CEH is like fantasy's like breakout guy and it was just like Woodstock. It's so weird to be, it's so weird to be here in 2022. It was because and, of the times. I will say, not to slander our former co workers, but all that summer, Josh Norris and Hayden Winks were basically putting him in the top five. And I was basically like, yeah, I don't even know if he's good. And uh, thankfully, I, I mean, I've been wrong a lot, but I was uh, right about that one. He's also a friend of the show, though. I had the uh, the, uh, the the prize fight with Daigle, that, that podcast episode. I took Antonio Gibson versus CEH, and I feel like somehow I won. There's only one guy that I could have won against. There are no winners. <laughs> there was no winners there. Oh, man. All right. Well, we'll see if there are winners here. My second and the final player on the list is another rookie receiver. And I just wanted to take the temperature in this room on Drake London. Now, when the Falcons made this pick, I'm a Falcons fan, of course. It was a little bit of a shock to the system, why they went with him over, say, a Garrett Wilson, for example. But putting that aside, we talk about opportunities for receivers. I think we can all agree there. He's going to be a featured part of whatever the hell this passing game is. They may not be the best targets. We also know he's a, a major red zone weapon in waiting. So I see an ADP of around 70 on underdog right now. I'm intrigued, but I wanted to hear the panel's thoughts on this where are we on uh drake london anyone jump in here who wants to respond i feel like drake london is not the player the falcons should have taken and there was buzz that they would be interested in him and ultimately did prove correct but like the thing is you're not planning for an offense with marcus mariota marcus mariota is there for a year he has a two-year contract with the second year is like a team option so who really cares if they don't fit each other's skill sets particularly well for the long term. So I get why they took him. Actually, he's a good player. But for this year, he's like the opposite player that you want for Marcus Mariota. You want like the slot receiver who gets open and is readily apparent to be open at all times because Marcus Mariota is just throwing to guys who are open and making few mistakes. He still even makes more mistakes than you'd want for a quarterback who doesn't have a ton of ceiling on any given throw. But you don't want the non-separation 50-50 ball guy for Marcus Mariota. He's going to look at a cornerback even if he's a tiny cornerback who Drake London could just tower over and take the ball from like a basketball player, which he was, Marcus Mario is going to see that and be like, nah, he's as unopened as I've ever seen anyone and just throw it, dump off to a running back or something. So uh, I think it makes sense why they took him. He's a good player. I just think stylistically, that would be my concern that he does not yeah. fit with what Marcus, Marcus Mariota wants to do. Even people say like Desmond Ritter plays that same Desmond similar Ritter's similar. Style. Yeah, exactly. Say, similar. He's a similar style. Eerily similar. So you don't have that ripcord to pull that someone comes in who isn't Marcus Mariota and does things differently. That's Kyle, who Matt Ryan was, by the way, too. Go ahead. So <laughs> it's, it's a really great point from Kyle. And like these guys, you know, are so hard to find. But yeah, what the Falcons needed was someone who gets into space, not someone who has to create space. And I always just find it troubling too. Like kind of going back to Nikhil Harry, like they're they're kind of different kind of players, but like I never enjoy like when you watch someone in college and like in all their highlights, like they're surrounded by dudes. Like they're like getting like <laughs> draped by someone. Like they're making spectacular plays. But I feel like all of like Drake London's spectacular plays, you know, like in traffic, which is a skill. 
but like that's a skill that's like difficult to train like you're already in traffic all the time in college like i I got i'm not sure how much you're gonna enjoy the nfl basically it's the jjr sega whiteside nikhil harry special and of course the next player to do that can break the mold right but so far and it's not just those players but so far those are the great examples the hits uh that mold is more difficult to translate. I don't think it's impossible. And I think Drake London has a good chance to be a mold breaker, but like it's the type of outlier I'm not dying to bet on. And like you said, Marcus Mariota was like a shockingly conservative player the entire time he's in Tennessee, like just would not pull the trigger on difficult throws would not ever run. Like, so like they're basically counting on him being an entirely different player. I am not usually in the position of defending Drake London. Cause I feel like I'm a little bit, well, I am, I'm, I'm further down on him than most of the, the rest of the dynasty guys but i like him i think he's a a pretty good prospect i feel like yeah it's not a perfect fit you're not going to get kind of like he's got some sort of like mike williams type of uh you know part of his skill set is similar to mike williams i think but part of his skill set is similar to like you know michael thomas or like a marcus colston type where you're going to be like a bigger guy who can get open underneath people do really like his route running you know, kind of the former basketball player thing. Like he's not super fast, but he's quick and he can, you know, position his body. Well, he's kind of he like, does, he creates space. He's very, yeah, he creates space. he's like a subtle mover. And like, he is different than Nikhil Harry where he's like quicker and like more fluid than Nikhil Harry was in college. This, this sounds like the way you guys describe a player. who's not good. He's not fast, but he's <laughs> quick. He doesn't create space, but he creates space. <laughs> he did. I'm serious. When I watched his film, he didn't remind me of like a power forward, like perfectly positioning himself for rebound, which is also good. But like Kyle said, also like kind of a, a red flag of like, that's one of his strengths. Cause again, if you're already yeah. like power forward people in the pack 12, not sure about the NFC South. It's not ideal. And I think, you know, you're going to potentially see him as a different type of player, maybe later in his career when he has a different quarterback, but, you know, looking at Corey Davis, who, you know, obviously not didn't pan out as we were hoping he would, it's like the fifth overall pick, but he actually had an okay year as a sophomore with Marcus Mariota. Last year, Corey Davis had a 13.3 ADOT. He was at 12.4 the year before that, 12.9 the year before that. Those are all non-Mariota seasons. In his sophomore season, he had a 10.8 ADOT. And I think we'll probably see something similar from Drake. Where We'll see him get used on a fair amount of wide receiver screens. We'll see him get used on like a lot of like slants underneath stuff. Maybe he maybe he'll have some kind of big slot to his game. He did play in the slot for his first two seasons, yeah. so he's familiar with that. They've talked about how they can move him around the formation. He's really versatile. I completely agree that he's not going to get those 50-50 balls to the rate that we would like. And that is kind of a big part of the way he wins downfield. And honestly, I'm I'm a bit skeptical that maybe that translates as as much as we'd like. But look, we have seen that translate. T. Higgins. I mean, T. Higgins is that type of guy, and it's translated really, really well. So, yeah, you do see like a Nikhil Harry, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside doesn't translate at all. But when it translates, the guy's all of a sudden a star. So I would be careful about like writing him off. Now, I probably don't have uh, as much as I should because I take Burks there instead. But I have taken right. London. If you've got Cardinals, take London because they play the Falcons in Week 17, right? If you've got Cowboys – take Burks because they play uh, each other in week 17. So that's one way that I'm trying to get London. And as if I've, if I've building a Cardinal stack, I, I make sure to go London instead. I was going to say on the plus side is the ability to play the slot. He's only 20 years old and did have absolutely freakish numbers. Uh, I think 88 catches in eight games. So I don't know. I, I think I'm more worried about the ADP and the quarterback situation than I'm about the player. But I mean, those are obviously big factors. So I, I, I get to see it. I can see his skills translating. Like he is like, okay, he's just got elite movement skills and he's like, gets himself in position. And Marcus Marriott is just like scared and doesn't do it. Yeah. yeah that's, that's bad. Okay. You guys have talked yeah. me out of it. I, it's 70. I'm, I'm sitting out on Drake London. That's the end of our list for today for the month of May. Anything to promote guys on NBC sports edge for get out of here. Kyle said we're deep in the throes of the draft guide. Mm. Um, I do have some post uh, draft rankings though, live on the site, probably our final rankings on the site until later in training camp. So uh, go check them out. Roto Pats. I've not, hey, I shouldn't have referred to myself as that. Uh, Patrick Darty's post. Do you make us refer to you as that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I off camera, obviously. I mean, yeah, you're uh, maybe change your phone contact. to that. One, <laughs> exactly. The lawyers get involved if I'm not called that <laughs> off camera. Karane, Kyle, anything? You want to make draft it? guide, man. Draft guide. Draft guide. Still check out. I'm consulting Karane's uh, dynasty rookie rankings quite frequently. Just check out Karane's dynasty rookie rankings. 
USFL content, still doing it. They still shove my face into a computer and I put it out every week. Then we also do the USFL. It's not even a betting show. It's literally just like a, a two-minute YouTube video. And I will say, I've been hot. I wasn't there last week because I was on vacation, which apparently I'm allowed to do. Insane. Uh, they let, they wow. let me leave. But uh, I, I think I 3 0 the week before that and have 2-1 every other week. So uh, the, the markets are still soft because books don't know how to price this uh, interesting product, let's call it. I see some of the over-unders now, like 27 and a half, 28 and a half. Um, some people speculate points won't be scored by the end of the season, but uh, I'm optimistic that Vadley of the Pittsburgh Maulers will put some points on the board. I'm watching right. F1 races. I can't get into the OSFL. I, 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 I'm shocked. I'm shocked you can't get I will be watching Major League Baseball on Peacock. Fine. All right. Well, at oh, least man, we're not watching yeah. baseball. Am I right, Corrine? <laughs> That's while, right. While playing Sega Game Gear. Sega Game Gear. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a minute to rate and review us as well. We will be back next week with new episodes. In the meantime, I want to say thanks to everyone for listening and watching live with us. Corrine, Pat, Kyle, thanks to all of you guys. This was fun. I'll see you next week. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.